Hello, and welcome to Modern MedEd, an APGO podcast where we will focus on trending topics in medical education. I'm Dr. Chris Morosky, Associate Professor and Vice Chair for Education at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine, and your host. I'm joined by three of my APGO member colleagues to explore this season's topic, equity and the hidden curriculum. I'm Dr. Leslie Hardy-Hood, Assistant Residency Program Director at the Kaiser Permanente Oakland OBGYN Residency Program. I'm Dr. Renee Morales, an Assistant Professor and M3 Co-Clerkship Director at the Eastern Virginia Medical School. And I'm Dr. Faye Kai, a third-year Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellow at the University of Pennsylvania. This season of Modern Mid-Ed, an APCO podcast, was made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals. Thank you. All right, everybody. We're so glad that you could join us. Now let's get down with today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Modern Med-Ed, an APCO podcast. Today's co-host is Eastern Virginia Medical School's OBGYN co-clerkship director, Dr. Renee Morales. Hello, Renee. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Renee. Thanks for asking. I'm really excited for this episode's topic, grades. We both have been clerkship directors for some time, and I feel that our learners' assessment and grades are a huge part of the job. You know, Chris, we are in an era of 360 review where everyone has a voice, including the faculty, the institution, and students. The stakes are high. Institutions use these evaluations to promote students to the next year of training, and students use these evaluations to secure competitive residency spots. And as faculty, We have a duty to provide well-trained physicians who will care for our parents, loved ones, and even for us. So, the title of today's episode is Clerkship Grading, Criterion Referenced versus Normative Referenced. And Renee, I know that you recently spoke with a well-known expert in grading and assessment. Chris, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Louis Pangaro from the Uniform Services University of Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. We had a fascinating discussion and there was so much to cover. Dr. Pringaro and I agreed that we would keep as much of the original interview together as possible. So, I want to begin by telling our listeners that in this episode, you'll be hearing longer interview clips. I'm really excited to share our discussion. Let's listen to Dr. Pringaro's own introduction and to his disclosures for this podcast. So, I'm uh, Lou Pangaro. I'm professor of medicine at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Science in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, Our mission is to create physicians for the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Public Health Service. I've been at this place for almost four decades and have served in many roles as director of fourth-year programs. I was the clerkship director for 15 years, the vice chair for education, the chair of the Department of Medicine for 10 years, and interim dean of the medical school for a year. My principal interest is evaluation and working with medical students and residents in the clinical setting, and so the job of clerkship director was the best job I ever had. As I said, we are part of the Department of Defense and create future physicians for the Department of Defense and the Public Health Service. And I have to say that anything I say is not the opinion of my university or the Department of Defense. I'm basically speaking for myself. And I have uh, no relevant financial disclosures uh, for the purpose of this discussion today. Renee, I am very familiar with Dr. Pangaro's work. He is the innovator of the RHYME framework for providing learners feedback. Yes, Chris, ROM is an acronym for reporter, interpreter, manager, and educator. It's a simplified system for fitting observations of our learners into patterns. 
We'll put some links to Dr. Pangara's publications on Rhyme in our podcast show notes. For now, I'll let Dr. Pangara describe the Rhyme framework in his own words. What Rhyme asks teachers to do is to classify the student as a reporter, an interpreter, or a manager, making that observation. And that observation is prior to any grading. If you had somebody who is a pretty good reporter, not much of an interpreter, that's your observation. For a first-year student in a clinical setting, you would say it's okay. For a third-year student, you would say it's not okay. For a resident, you would say it's disastrous. What Rhyme does is accesses the ability of classification, which is exactly what your faculty have practiced. We call it diagnosis, differential diagnosis. Is this heart failure, pneumonia, pulmonary embolism? So instead of giving a grade, the teacher is making a diagnosis. So what we're trying to deal with is the emotional social context. And the teacher is not doing something to the student. They are not, quote, giving a grade. They are classifying the student in a category of reporter, interpreter, or manager educator. And this attempts to deal with the emotional aspects. And the rhyme process was designed to help teachers have some consistent idea in their head, shared mental model, construct, so that going from one teacher to the next, they were consistent in what was in their head that they were using as a standard or criterion to judge the student in front of them today. So for years, Renee, I have used the rhyme approach when providing students mid-clerkship feedback. I find that it's a simple way to explain to students where our faculty and residents are observing their performance in a way that's easily understandable. Exactly. So first, Dr. Pingaro and I discussed his three-step process of evaluating anyone, whether it be a student, resident, colleague, or any learner, with observation, interpretation, and then action. Here's what Dr. Pangaro had to say. I think we need to define what we mean by grading and how that fits in. It's like working with a patient. There's three phases in the process. The first is that you make an observation. For instance, this medical student gets all the facts about the patient. They can answer the what questions. What are the symptoms? What are the physical findings? What are the lab tests? But when you ask them what is a possible explanation of the fever in the patient, they're not much of an interpreter. In other words, this learner is a reporter without being an interpreter. Now, that's our observation. Then we have to decide what this means. We have to interpret it in context or framework. And I think we would all agree that if this was a beginning medical student, maybe at the end of first year who was shadowing you in your clinic, this would be acceptable. But if it were a second-year resident in your specialty, you would say that is not acceptable. So the observation begins, and then we interpret it in saying that this person is, if it's a medical student, it's acceptable. If it's a resident, it's not. Okay, so here is describing how our observation of the student is similar to how we might make a clinical observation of a patient, and then go on to interpret that observation and the setting of other clinical data that might be available to us. Yes. And then Dr. Pungaro goes on to describe the two kinds of action that can come from this observation and interpretation. The first is feedback. So now we have to decide what to do, and there are two kinds of action to be taken. If you're a teacher and this student is in your clinic, then the action you're taking is education. You're going to give feedback. This is an action. So we had an observation, we interpreted it, and now we're going to act, that's feedback. 
And when we make an individual observation with a student today with this patient, we basically have information. We have an observation in a context and we could say, we have information. This is a reporter, not much of an interpreter, and that is acceptable for a beginning first-year student. It's marginal for a third-year or clerkship student. And so my educational action, which I'm justified in giving, is feedback to the student on how to improve. This is not yet grading. And finally, Dr. Pangaro sets up the second action, which involves actual grading. Grading is not, in my lexicon, an educational action. It is an administrative action to be taken on the record that the student gets credit for the course or the clerkship, or that they are ready for advancement from the clerkship to fourth year to a sub-internship, or from sub-internships into PGY1 internships. So grading requires more than information. It requires a higher degree of certainty. Let's call that knowledge, which depends on sampling, multiple sampling across time. Many patients with many different problems, not just pneumonia, but heart failure, not just heart failure, but pulmonary embolism. And you can apply this to your own specialty, the different kinds of observations, and typically with multiple observers. So to go from information, an observation about this case today, to grading, we must have much more certainty, much more knowledge. And this administrative action now requires a broader sample. So that's the background for me. This rhythm, you see something, observation, you think about it, interpretation, action, is the rhythm of all productive human activity. And it's what underlies the grading process and I think helps teachers understand it because this is what we do when we see a patient. We do a history and physical, then we have an assessment, then we have a plan. Observation, reflection, action. Report, interpret, manage. Renee, I like this a lot. This is all very harmonious with how we train our minds clinically when creating a differential diagnosis and a management plan for our patients. You got it. That's what I learned from Dr. Pangaro that we can use a very familiar process for patient assessment and apply it to student assessment, both educationally in the form of feedback and administratively in the form of grading. Okay, so let's start digging into the details of these grading systems. What did Dr. Pangara have to say about criterion versus norm reference grading? Well, from the start, Dr. Pagaro defined both of these grading systems for us, keeping in mind the concept of grading as an administrative action based on a series of evaluations from first observing and then interpreting the student's actions. Criterion and norm-referenced gradings are different ways to structuring our observations about making this decision. Norm-referenced means you compare this student in front of you to other students. The judgment is a side-to-side -side comparison between those who are present at the time, either the other three or four students on your team or the other 20 students in your clerkship at the moment. But the side-to-side -side comparison is to others who are there. This is the norm. And you say this particular student is at the top of that group, at the middle of that group, or the bottom of that group. And that's what we mean by normative. It compares to another immediately available group. Criterion referenced, as you would imagine, 
judges this student's present performance against an abstraction that is in your head, an idea in your head of what success looks like. And the other three students in the group you're comparing this student with could be anywhere in that scale, and it doesn't matter because the student is not compared against their colleagues, their peers, but against some criterion, some mental model, some idea, some concept, some framework. There are a lot of terms for this in your head. So with these two grading structures defined, what are the principal advantages and disadvantages of each? Well, Chris, first we review the advantages of the criterion referenced grading structure. Well, the principal advantage of criterion referenced grading is that the standard of comparison, the basis of your judgment, is fixed over time and does not depend on the other students who are with you. If the other three students were all very poor, you might decide that the present student was better than they are and therefore was okay, even though the present student that we're talking about didn't meet your basic criteria. So a criterion reference system brings that kind of clarity. It's fixed. It also achieves clarity for society. There is a criterion. We will not allow this student to move from the clerkship to being a sub-internship. So society knows what we're doing is not arbitrary. It's not subjective. It also brings some clarity for the learner that they understand from the beginning of the rotation that they're going to be judged against criteria that the faculty have agreed upon. And perhaps more importantly, they're not subject to the luck of the draw, that the other three students in their group were all really brilliant. Renee, this approach seems to level the playing field, if you will, for student assessment. Yeah, Chris, a criterion reference grading system helps standardize student performance across all levels. It sets the minimum for students who may be low achieving and would benefit from coaching or maybe knowledge to make sure they develop the appropriate skill set. It also sets the maximum for top-performing students. For instance, if you have a student who maybe gives 120% all the time, doing so may overshadow those who gave 100% and are also great students. It normalizes the gunners, if you will. Our next segment describes how criterion reference grading is also fair for the faculty. And finally, and this to me is as important, it brings clarity for the teacher. Our teachers in the clinical clerkship setting have been trained for minimum of seven years in diagnostic ability. So in internal medicine, we could say, that's heart failure, that's pneumonia, that's pulmonary embolism. I know what those things mean. So I'm not bringing arbitrary or ad hoc criteria to this student. When I look at a patient with heart failure, I don't always say, oh, well, this looks more like this patient is sicker than that patient. That's not my first test. That's not my first idea. My first question is, is this heart failure? I'm not comparing it uh, just to other patients I've seen, except in so far as they have heart failure or pneumonia. So those are heart failure and pneumonia. Those are criteria. So the principal virtue, the principal pro of the criterion reference grading system is that there's clarity and stability. Renee, this all sounds really great. So are there any disadvantages to criterion reference grading? Yeah, there are some disadvantages to criterion reference grading. We discussed that learning the criteria may be difficult, particularly for new faculty. 
The principal downside is if you have a new teacher and they haven't worked with many students before, or you haven't been able to orient them to your clerkship evaluation framework, then they may not have in their head already an idea of what a successful student looks like or what a, quote, honors student looks like. So for new teachers who have not previously been in your system, the availability, I use that word from the clinical reasoning literature, the availability of the other students, those examples is helpful. So that's one problem. For a beginner, beginning teacher, it's harder to use the criterion system if you've not been successfully oriented by the clerkship director or by experience. Another disadvantage is throughout the academic year, Student performance improves as their skills develop with more practice. Here's how Dr. Pangaro explained it. The second problem, and this is, this is more dicey, difficult to deal with, is that students get better during the year. So if you had a high-pass honor system in your grading rubric, more students would get high-pass or honors towards the end of the year because they're better. We know this is true in terms of multiple choice questions. They tend to get better during the year, which contributes to grades. And we would expect, we would hope that clinical performance would get better. And we know from multiple choice tests that performance on the medicine exam, medicine clerkship exam, subject exams from NBB, does get better over time because you learn medicine when you're on obstetrics. You learn medicine when you're on surgery. And the principal con is then, do you have criteria that change during the year to accommodate that growth so that you're not giving more honors or higher grades at the end of the year than you are at the beginning. And this is basically a decision to be made within the school. What works for your school? Okay, Renee, we've heard about the advantages and disadvantages of criterion reference grading. What did Dr. Pangaro have to say about norm reference grading? Well, we reviewed that the primary advantage of norm reference grading is that you have the information that you need to make your assessment right in front of you. The principal benefit of a norm reference system is that the standard of comparison, the standard of judgment about this student is right in front of you. The other students are right there. And for a beginner person, that often helps. When we're learning to practice medicine, we compare this patient in front of us with a cough to other patients we've seen with possible pneumonia or asthma or COPD. So we learn how to do that until we've really internalized a broad idea of what this diagnosis looks like. As you can see, the flip side is that you inherently create cutoffs or a quota, which leaves certain students unable to achieve the highest marks simply based on their randomly assigned clerkship group. And if you have a group of students with mediocre performance, you are forced to pick an individual from this group to reward with the highest grade. However, Dr. Pangara also alludes to a potential solution. The principal disadvantage or the con of a norm reference system is it forces the students into a predetermined distribution. So if I had four students, one gets an honors, two get a high pass, and one gets a pass, even though all three are excellent or all three are poor. That's uh, the primary disadvantage of a, of a norm reference system. There is a predetermined distribution. And some clerkships do not allocate final grades for a clerkship until the very end of the clerkship year when they've done all the clerkships. And then they say at the end of the year, 
we're going to give 25% A's, 50% B's, 20% C's, and a couple of low grades in the students who are not yet there. And in order to have the distribution fit, they actually wait until the end of the year. Renee, this has been great. I have a much better understanding of both the advantages and disadvantages of criterion versus normative-based grading. At my medical school, we use a criterion-based grading framework. It's a little more involved than the RHYME framework, which as I mentioned, I like to use for midpoint feedback. And, as Dr. Pangara described, it does take some time to get my new faculty up to speed with the criteria for our grading system. Yes, we use criterion-based as well. When I was newer faculty... I did have to learn what to expect. As we wrapped up the interview, Dr. Pangaro went into detail about how using a grading committee creates a fair and equitable process for the administrative action of determining grades. In my system, there's a three-level system. One is the words or the construct of rhyme between the teacher and the learner. The second is that every three weeks or so, the teacher meets with the clerkship director now we can do that virtually. Pandemic has taught us that. To discuss the student, and we learn what the teacher thinks. We get to calibrate the teacher. We get to hear teachers' biases, and they're willing to tell us often what they will write down. But we don't ask teachers to give an A, B, C, D, or an honors high pass or fail. We ask the learner to classify, I'm sorry, the teacher to classify the learner as a reporter, interpreter, or manager. And then at the third level, the education committee, the competency committee, the grading committee, they will decide how all the sampling over time, how all the information from the multiple teacher observations over the last five weeks will now be summed up that we have enough knowledge to actually reach an administrative decision that we call grading. So we actually try to separate the teacher and indeed the clerkship director herself from assigning the grade. It's a committee of people who look at the all of the evidence, the entirety of the record, both the clinical evaluations from the teachers, the multiple choice scores, OSCEs, and that's how a grade is ultimately determined. And that also deals with the social emotional factors that place the teacher at risk if they say, I don't want to fail this student, or I know this student wants to go into a very competitive specialty, so I feel like I need to give them an honors grade. That's not the task of the teacher. The teacher only has information, not sufficient sampling over time for knowledge. I have to say, Renee, this process of a grading committee does seem like the most fair and equitable. However, it also requires a good amount of resources. In my medical school, we use this process for our grade appeals. I can see how using this process with initially assigning the grades would benefit us all. Me too. I like the idea of a grading committee. It also diffuses the responsibility of a few people giving grades, as well as the perception of individual faculty being hard graders. At the end of our interview, I really appreciated Dr. Pangara's closing remarks addressing what he feels is the most important goal of grading. Fairness to society is the ultimate goal, and you must also be fair to students and fair to the faculty. If the faculty have too many barriers, and the barriers can be cognitive, social, emotional, or logistic, there are too many barriers, then your judgments about entrustment of students are not going to be useful to you. 
So you must be fair to the faculty. It is the faculty that work. It's not me as the clerkship director or much less as chair or dean. I'm not in the trenches. I have to create the context in which they say, I know what you want me to do for this student too, and I know how to give feedback to this student. And thank you for asking me to describe to you where the student is rather than labeling them a pass or a fail. In other words, seeing grading as an administrative action and feedback as an educational action is my bottom line. Renee, this interview is so good. I really like how Dr. Pangara reminds us that one of the most important aspects of grading and assessment is fairness. Fairness to society, fairness to faculty, and fairness to learners. And he again differentiates between feedback as an educational action and grading as an administrative action. Wonderful. Renee, thank you for joining me for today's episode, and thank you again for this outstanding interview. This has been a really robust discussion about grading and in way more detail than I have ever thought about it before. This is such an important subject for medical education. My pleasure, Chris. And I would also like to thank Dr. Pangaro for his time and expertise. I had a lot of learning to do on this topic in preparing for this interview. Please see our show notes for links to some of his resources and publications. Everybody, thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes of Modern Med Ed, where we will get groovy with more cutting-edge topics in medical education. You've been listening to Modern Med Ed, an APCO podcast. Visit the Modern Med Ed page on APCO's website, where you can learn more about our show and let us know what topics you'd like to hear about for next season. A big thank you to Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals for providing the unrestricted educational grant that makes this season of Modern Med Ed possible. Modern Med Ed is an APCO original podcast. The Association of Professors of Gynecology and Obstetrics, better known as APCO, represents academic obstetrician gynecologists in the U.S. and Canada. APCO offers contemporary, practical teaching tools for physician educators and learning mechanisms for faculty, students, and residents with the ultimate goal of providing optimum healthcare to women. Modern Med Ed is hosted by me, Dr. Chris Borowski, and co-hosted by Dr. Leslie Hardy-Hood, Dr. Renee Morales, and Dr. Faye Kai. It's produced by Caitlin Harrington and Heather Houston of Jesperson & Associates. Sound designed by John O'Brien. Original music composed, performed, and co-produced by Tipkins and Hood, and co-produced and engineered by Dana Big Dane Johnson at the Cove Studio. The Modern Med Ed logo was designed by Alyssa Saravian. Special thanks to APCO podcast enthusiasts, Executive Director Molly Georgiakis, and Deputy Director of Development Miriam Poe for helping us kickstart this podcast journey. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, stay groovy in medical education.